the story start changing when instead of conveying the message, it's harmful for the planet, it's harmful for the indigenous people, it's harmful for the orangutans, they started saying it's harmful for you. listening to Rethinking Climate, uh, we try to investigate how the climate crisis is spoken about. Today, we are honored to have Gramenos Mastroieni here with us. So thank you for your time. Thank you. Uh, Gramenos Mastroieni, you're an Italian diplomat, professor and writer, and you're focused the last 25 years on social, geostrategic and economic impacts on environmental degradation. Uh, you're currently deputy secretary at the Union for the Mediterranean, and you wrote several nonfiction books about sustainability, climate change, and collective action to save the planet. So considering your job, what actually brought you to write these books in the first place? Yeah, let me just start saying that I also gave it a try with a fiction book. I think I'm one of the first authors to imagine a novel about climate change, but it didn't work. It's not my job. It's, uh, uh, it's the same thing, you know, since I work with governments, I realized that governments on their own cannot do much if people do not understand. So it was a long way for people to understand the importance of climate change and environmental degradation. And I was feeling the urge to share a certain knowledge, a certain awareness about what was happening. Because now it's, it has become kind of a commonplace. Um, they all think that they have a notion, although there are a lot of uh, imprecise uh, notions uh, going around, but 10, 15 years ago, scientists already knew what was going to happen, but people didn't. So I tried the classical way, which is articles and you know, TV interviews, but it not get to people's hearts. So I decided I should start writing. Uh, I started with a scientific approach, didn't work. And at a certain point, I decided I should speak simple and see what happens. And little by little, it worked. And uh, nowadays, after so many years, if uh, anyone asks me, what is the most effective thing you have ever done in your career? There are many episodes of more success, less success in negotiations and things like that. But I think that talking to people is still the most fundamental thing. And what, what have you learned as a skill about communicating with people? Oh, this is a quite complicated um, question. Um, first thing you learn is that information is processed first emotionally, and only then rationally. Let's take one example. Scientists are very correct in saying that the average global temperature has risen one degree since the Industrial Revolution. But what happens emotionally to someone when you tell them, for instance, that the temperature of his or her bedroom has risen one degree? So 
I started trying to transform this very precise uh, technical information into something that people could understand in terms of gravity. So when you start telling people that this one degree is not a matter of temperature, but it is uh, a measurement of how much excess energy we are intaking in our planet, and it's the equivalent of the explosion of 400,000 Hiroshima bombs per day, it starts changing. The other thing I learned is uh, that uh, we are wired in a certain way. And uh, if you look at it, you might conclude that it's uh, a sad situation. It's not our fault. Since the beginning of our history of, uh, as humans, we are wired to care only about ourselves. So there is this dimension of common good that is very difficult to grasp for people. What do you have to do? You have to talk personally. Even if you say the planet is going to explode in three days, it stays in the air because it's the planet, it's not me. Either people conclude, uh, I'm so sorry, but what can I do? It's too big for me or it doesn't concern me. I have my own asteroid or this kind of things. So you have to start to talk personally. And there is one uh, story that tells it very well, palm oil, you know? Uh, palm oil in itself is not something bad. It's a good gastronomic ingredient. It becomes poisonous when it's uh, industrially processed, but this would happen to any kind of oil. But besides that, the overexploitation of uh, um, forest lands to produce palm oil produced a reaction. And it was a reaction in the name of the common good of the planet, of indigenous rights. And there were fantastic campaigns about it. And one might remember that incredible video uh, shot by Greenpeace in which you can see an orangutan defending a tree from a caterpillar. How can you not be stricken by that? Except that it produced zero effect. Communication uh, that works, and we need an effective communication because we really have little time, is one that engages you personally. Not in terms of a threat. It's going to kill you, it's going to ruin your life. Because after a while, this is demotivating, but positively. Things like you, you don't care too much about a kind of nutrition that saves the planet. Well, please notice that this nutrition is also the one that saves your health. You don't care too much about uh, diminishing pollution in cities. Well, if you behave in a way uh, that is good for here in your cities, it happens that it's also good for your health. It leaves you with more money in your wallet and this kind of things. So two things. First, we have to care a lot about the emotional level because it's the entry point. If it doesn't pass through the emotional door, it will not be processed rationally. And second, once you enter, make it personal. And does this reflect also in political terms? So considering the, the jobs you've done, how do you communicate about sustainability when it comes in more policy-making sectors? Well, when it's in policy-making uh, arenas, of course, the language changes. 
but again, in a way, it becomes personal uh, in the sense that uh, to be effective there, you don't necessarily play the abstract game of climate change or environmental protection. You play the game of uh, international relations in which uh, you might be playing with egos, with uh, uh, the expectation of people who negotiated there, if they're at political level, to be approved by their constituencies and this kind of thing. So there also the personal part is important, but the language changes. It's policy making uh, language and it's not going to be individual, it's going to be uh, collective. What advice would you give your colleagues to improve their own communication of sustainability? I don't know if I can give an advice to uh, anyone, but uh, if you're not really reasoning about strategies, you don't have time to, you're not a professional to, I would say, let your emotions surface. You cannot be a climate or an environment negotiator or, you know, program manager without feeling the emotion of what you're doing. Actually, we are in a strange uh, and very dangerous, but also very privileged position. We are taking care of saving our planet. It has never happened before in history. So I would say, let your emotions drive in. So you've, since you have many years of experience and you've written many books, could you say your communication has changed? And if so, how? I kind of hinted to it, you know, it started to be kind of scientific. I thought at the beginning that I would move things if I could move universities and uh, policymaking world. Uh, but then I realized that the only thing that moves uh, the situation is uh, common people. So I started to write simpler and simpler and to talk simpler and simpler. One thing which is important is uh, not only words, because words means very often rational. And as I was trying to tell you, the rational level is not the entry door to people. Uh, use a lot of images. Images are uh, much more effective than words in many cases. What would you comment about those who support the idea that since science of climate change is so complex, how do you best translate it? So if you, this maybe could even transform into an advice of someone who's maybe even a scientist who's trying to speak to the citizens, how can you simplify such a complex in a way that you don't lose its importance as well? Well, uh, two things. First, it is complex, but it is not, it, but it is no rocket science. I mean, anyone, even without a scientific education, even without a formal education can understand it. It's just a matter of explaining it. It's, so it's up to the scientists not to talk into an incomprehensible language. Uh, but also I've been witnessing efforts that were not there before. If you read an IPCC report 10 years ago, you really needed to be a specialist because it only relied on uh, uh, professional knowledge. Now it's different. Let's take a report that concerns the Mediterranean Sea that was released at the beginning of the year. It tells that the oceans in general are, are accumulating a lot of heat. And the scientists 
in this scientific publication, started uh, stating that it is as though, uh, I don't remember the exact figure, but I know 25 billion kettles were boiling or something like that. So they tried to, they're trying to, to be more understood and uh, in a quicker and more emotional way. I think things are going in the right direction right now. Could you tell us about the latest book you've published? So it also provides yeah. a good example. It's the end result of all this, um, let's say reflection. Um, at the beginning I wrote in scientific and political terms. Then I wrote about a collective perspective, but in a simple way. And in the end, this last book is uh, talking to each one of us. It's uh, called Butterfly Effects, Five Choices of Happiness to Save the World. And it it's intended to tell people two things. First, you don't need to fare to engage in the battle to save your planet. It's not going to be a sacrifice. This is not ideology, it's science. No matter what, each choice of sustainability transforms immediately in a better quality of life for you. And many times it, it even transforms into more money in your wallet. And second, you don't need to feel too little in face of such a challenge. First, because uh, the only solution is uh, a change in habits and attitudes by each one of us. But even if the others don't move, each one of us alone can, can make a huge difference because uh, every individual's choice is multiplied by the system. It starts a butterfly effect. And if a little butterfly in Tokyo can be the cause of a hurricane, I don't know where, if we flutter our wings in the right direction, we can make a lot of difference. In another episode, we talked about climate anxiety. So you do say that we can all make a difference, but some people feel like so pressed. So what, do, what, what can we tell them? Yeah. I have a, I have a method, hmm. you know? There are some books that tend to suggest you a list of right things to do. Some of them are wise, some of them are less wise, but we have to think that our relationship with Mother Nature is a little bit more deep and complex. Mother Nature wants you to choose exactly what lifts you in a better condition. And this is always sustainable. I'll give you an example. Let's take the bike instead of a car. Well, who can object to this in principle? But then imagine someone, he is a father, he has a family, not so high income and uh, his home is 20 kilometers away from uh, his workplace. He would uh, adjust anyway. Okay, for the sake of the planet, I take my bike and it will take me one and a half hours to go and one and a half hours to go back home. Well, I believe that in this case, Mother Nature asks him to take the car because those two and a half hours that he doesn't spend with his family may easily transform into lack of awareness by his children, tensions in family, and all this kind of uh, friction normally causes greenhouse effect. 
in many ways. So it's really not, it's really not a solution to read a list of things to do, but you have to look into your life. And here comes my method. You can organize a family game one day, or if you don't have a family, organize it with yourself. First day, it's brainstorming. You just, when you wake up, you start noticing all the little things you could do that would be better, both for you and for nature. And everything counts. At the end of the day, you might have a list of 70, 80 things. Then choose one. How do you choose that? You put every choice into a small matrix that has four boxes. In uh, the first box, you write how much this is advantageous for me. In the second box, you write how much is this advantageous for my community. Third box, how much is this advantageous for the environment? And the fourth box is just a, uh, a control box. How much is this um, advantageous, it brings an advantage for the planet as a whole. This is just intended to avoid those situations in which something that looks locally good in the end in the system is actually not good. Imagine I am in a rich forestry valley. I decide uh, that uh, I will stop cutting my trees. Wow, fantastic. But then if there are factories that make furniture, close by. And without your trees, they're obliged to buy untraced, unprotected wood from a, a developing country. It's better if you keep cutting your trees reasonably and with, uh, with some precautions just here. So forget about the fourth case. Just put all these things that you have found into this little grid and ask yourself, how much will it make my life better? How much will it help my community? And only in the third place, how much is it going to be helpful? for the environment. Probably you will have like uh, 40, 60 possible gestures that are good in two, in one case, but inevitably at the end, there will be one or two that have high score in every possible uh, way. Then out of this, choose one. So it just takes one day of reflection, then you end up selecting what is good and it might be counterintuitive. It might not be in any of those lists that you find like the do recycle, uh, I don't know, and uh, don't leave your lights up and this kind of things. Uh, this way you avoid the, how would I say, the diet effect. So good, so good, but after Sometimes you just don't resist. Just make sure that it is something that brings you an advantage, an improvement, which is palpable, tangible. You, you can experience it every day. And there are many things. It, you know, it ranges from uh, stop buying uh, new furniture and go looking for fantastic, cheaper, and much more solid used objects. Uh, it can be buy your apples from the peasant nearby. It can be a lot of things. But if each one of us does it, the good thing is that I lose my job because you don't need any more the United Nations or it's just the people who can solve it.
And do you do you would like to see some improvements? So because you are a writer yourself, you're an expert in the field of decision making, do you and now the topic is increasing so many people are now talking about it. Have you looked at maybe some documents or articles and you thought we need to do better? And if so, exactly what would you like to see improve in communication? Well, as I told you, I would like scientists to start communicating in a smarter way. You know, every, everyone has mindsets. And uh, to, to get out of the mindset, sometimes it has felt like uh, a, a violence. Ask a scientist to communicate something outside his precise physical or medical language, and he feels as though he's been obliged to do something incorrect, like the agree things. Yeah, there. From a scientific point of view, it's absolutely precise, one degree, but it doesn't work. And uh, the other thing, I would like to see all these young people who are starting to mobilize, to stick to their original motivation, which is ask the governments to do the right thing, but make it substantial, devoting more and more into becoming a community that directly does the right, the right thing. I think it is much more important to have young people Instead of protesting and sending a political message, send a much stronger message to the market. You know, the market is extremely sensitive to what people do. And once an important group of people starts, you know, keeping the smartphone for three years instead of changing one every six months, asking certain kind of clothes and keeping them abstaining from uh, buying all those things that make your life miserable in the illusion that they will make you feel cool when they never do, then it's a very powerful message. It's non-spoken communication, but I can assure you that with your wallet, you send messages that are heard much faster than any article. Thank you very much for your time. I think you've been very extensive and sent really strong messages. So I thank you very much. Is there anything else you would like to tell our listeners? Well, uh, if you don't feel too shy to publish this, there is one thing I would like to tell. Uh, Asia is people like you who engage personally in doing what you're doing. I'm sure you're not making money out of this, who can make a difference. So go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, Rethinking Climate is growing a little bit and we're happy of any support. So also you taking time today is very special for us. So thank you very much. I'll put Gremio's book inside the description and uh, follow us on social media and on YouTube. Thank you. Oh, bye-bye. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 